So today's message I've entitled The Spirit's New Move. <clears throat> Not what I title I announced last Sunday, but forgive me sometimes. Uh, I change the title during the week as I work on the message. So we're journeying through the Gospel of Luke in our message series, which I've entitled Following Jesus. And we see Jesus oftentimes getting into, we might call them discussions, uh, or perhaps even upsetting the Jewish leaders. He seems to have an issue with the traditions of men. You know, the Jewish leaders thought that they, they were following God by keeping various rules and regulations. But Jesus, on the other hand, taught that there was only one way to have a relationship with God in this life or throughout eternity, and that was not through keeping rules. Jesus said, and you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline of the verses written out there as well. He said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that verse alone, besides many other verses in the Bible, makes it crystal clear that there is only one way to God. There's only one way to have a relationship with God. There's only one way to ultimately go to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Now, how does a person follow Jesus the way? What does it mean it's Jesus is the way? Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith. You might want to circle that word faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And so following Jesus requires not good works, it requires faith. This verse tells us that faith believes, first of all, that God exists. If you don't believe God exists, uh, you can't have a relationship with him. Not only do we believe that God exists, we believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him by putting their trust, their faith, in Jesus Christ. And so following Jesus requires not good works, not being good enough, but faith. Now, polls in America and around the world show that most people believe that a way to have a relationship with God and the way to go to heaven is to be you fill in the blank. What is it? To be a good person. Like, I'm a good person, so surely God is going to accept me into heaven. I do good things. I know a lot of people who are a lot worse than me. So good people go to heaven, right? That's a verse in the Bible? No, wrong. Uh, it is not a verse in the Bible. A lot of people believe that. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to the other place. But all religions other than Christianity are basically rule-based religions. We could name them. Uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, whatever they may be. You must do certain things in those religions, certain good things, in order to have a relationship with God or to have an eternal destiny with God. And that was the case for the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. And of course, it's the same for Jews today. Uh, they still have rules and regulations. They have not recognized Jesus as the Messiah. It's a rule-based religion. Unfortunately, even many people who claim to be 
Christian think that they are going to heaven because they do good things and that they are good people. The Bible teaches us that no one is good enough to go to heaven. Romans 3.23 says, for all. You might want to circle that word all. I'm into the circling words this morning. I don't know why. It's not in my notes. But for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all means all. It means everybody. Every person on this earth has a sin problem. And just one sin, even though, if we're honest, we'll all admit we have sinned more than once, but just one sin is enough to keep a person from a relationship with God. It's enough to keep a person out of heaven in eternity. And so it was only Jesus who was able to solve mankind's sin problem, and he did that through his death, paying the penalty for our sins, his resurrection from the dead. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he began to pour out the Holy Spirit to empower those who, through faith, chose to follow him. Acts 2.17 says, and in the last days, and we are living in the last days, the last days began when Jesus ascended into heaven, and they're going to continue until he returns again. We are living I was going to say right in the middle, but I think closer to the end. Uh, I don't know for sure, but we are living in the period the Bible calls the last days. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So on the day of Pentecost, which is when this, this scripture was quoted, God began to pour out his spirit on those who were praying and seeking the power of the Holy Spirit for their lives as Jesus had commanded, as Jesus had instructed. And God continues to pour out his spirit. It wasn't just once on Pentecost. He continues to pour out his spirit and make, he made it available down through the couple thousand of years that have passed since that first day of Pentecost. Unfortunately, in that vast period of time, not many were seeking the power of the spirit for thousands of years, but that began to change in a dramatic way in the early 1900s as people in America, we won't go through all the history, began to seek after God and His Spirit in a new and fresh way, just as they had sought God on the day of Pentecost. And from that beginning with just a few people seeking God and receiving the power of the Spirit into their lives in the early 1900s, in 1914, a little over 100 years ago, the Assemblies of God Fellowship was created to reach the world for Jesus through the power of the Spirit. It was just a few hundred people. And today, the Assemblies of God Fellowship is the world's largest evangelical fellowship, the world's largest spirit-filled fellowship with over 70 million members and hundreds of thousands of churches across the world from a few hundred people just a little over 100 years ago. It's now estimated that there are 645 million spirit-baptized believers in the world. And this has all happened in the period of our lifetime, basically. Of course, we're not 100 years old, but more or less, right? During our period of time, in fact, it's exponentially increased just in the last 50 years. Why is this all happening in our lifetime when 
A move of God like this had not happened for thousands of years. Well, I and many others believe that God is preparing for a great move of revival that will usher in the return of Christ. So how can we be part of the Spirit's new move in our world today? Well, God desires for us to share the good news with the needy, which are all around us. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 today. And so far in this message series, if you just read the next verses that we talked about from what we talked about last Sunday, you'll be right on track uh, with what we're doing. We're moving right on through Luke. Verse 27 says, after this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were some of the most despised people in society. They worked for the Roman government. They collected tax, taxes for the Roman occupiers of the Jewish nation of Israel. And because they were in authority, they always overcharged. So if the tax was, I don't know, or the tax was so many drachma or something, they would charge twice that much. They always charged more. They would give the Roman government what the tax was, and they would keep all the extra for themselves. And so the tax collectors of that day became very rich, and they were the, some of the most despised people in society. But Jesus saw this tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. That was a place where people would come to pay their taxes. And he spoke just two words to Levi. He said, follow me. And as Jesus spoke those two words... They showed a lot more than just those two words. They showed that Jesus cared about this despised tax collector sitting in his tax booth. They showed that Jesus loved Levi. They showed that Jesus had a plan for Levi's life other than collecting taxes and getting rich. In fact, they showed that Jesus had chosen Levi to be one of the first twelve. To follow him. And Levi, on hearing those two words, follow me, left his whole way of life and began to follow Jesus. It says he left everything. Now, another name for Levi was Matthew. And Matthew was the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And so Levi followed Jesus and Became an apostle. We'll talk about that more in future Sundays. But what was the very first thing that Levi did as a follower of Jesus? He left everything, and then what did he do? Well, the next verse tells us. And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and, tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So who did Levi invite to this great feast for Jesus? I mean, he was so thrilled that Jesus had invited him to follow. Uh, he was excited about being a follower of Jesus. Then who was he going to invite? 
Well, his friends. Who are his friends? Fellow tax collectors. So he invited all the tax collectors he knew to this feast at his house. He also invited other sinners. But none of these people were followers of Jesus or even followers of the Jewish religion. They all came together. Levi did what every follower of Jesus should do. Invite others to meet and follow the Jesus that we follow. Now the rule-keeping Pharisees and scribes began to grumble as they watched people going to this feast. Why? Because their rules stated that you needed to keep yourself separate from sinners. Especially you never wanted to eat with a sinner. How did Jesus respond? Well, Jesus answered them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. And those who are sick, I have not come to call. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus replied that he came to this earth to heal those who were sick and to call sinners to repentance. And so he was looking for the needy. He was looking for the sick. He was looking for the sinners. And those who considered themselves righteous, speaking of the Jewish leaders, they were in fact really not righteous at all. They were prideful, and they were very far from becoming a follower of Jesus. And so as a follower of Jesus, we need to share the good news with those who are needy just as he did. So let's think about ourselves living today in 2022. Who are the people that are the closest to becoming a follower of Jesus? You know, sometimes we get things really mixed up. We think that, you know, if we can just find some people who are really good people, they would just make excellent Christians. But who are the people who are the closest to become, becoming a follower of Jesus? It's, it's the needy people. It's the people who know they have problems. Everybody has problems, but these are people who know they have problems. They know they have needs in their lives. Whether the need is physical, emotional, or spiritual, those are the needy people. They are the closest to becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, those who have it all together and think they have no needs, of course, everybody has needs, but think they have no needs, are very far from following Jesus. And so to follow in Levi's example and Jesus' example, we need to see the needs in other person's lives, other people's lives, as opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. Because those people are the closest to becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, the needy, they could be non-religious people who don't believe in God at all, or perhaps uh, they might be religious people. But being religious doesn't save a person. It's only by becoming a follower of Jesus. We need to share the good news with the needy that are all around us. If you think there's no needy people in your life, just pray and look again. There's needy people all around us. Now some people, a lot of people try to cover up their needs, but they're there. Ask God for discernment. 
Not only do we need to share the good news with the needy, we need to pray and fast for revival. We've been talking a lot about praying and fasting this year, praying and fasting for revival. Let's continue in our story in verse 33. And they said to him, these are the Pharisees and the scribes, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now, the Old Testament talked about fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It was only required on the Day of Atonement. But the Jewish scribes had created various rules and regulations that required fasting on a weekly basis. You weren't really a good Jew unless you fasted every, at least once every week. Now, as the scribes and Pharisees looked at Jesus' disciples, they said, these guys aren't fasting at all. They're just eating and drinking and Never fasting. Jesus and his disciples often ate feasts and, and uh, sat down to eat with sinners. And of course, sinners or tax collectors didn't fast at all. And so here we see again these, these Jewish leaders following a rule-based religion confronting Jesus. And Jesus answered them. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Who's the bridegroom? Well, it's Jesus. He's referring to himself. When he was here on this earth, walking this earth in physical form, he was like the bridegroom being present with the wedding guests. Uh, his followers were like the wedding guests. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of, of eating and reaching out to sinners, being in their presence, over a meal, a time of enjoying being together. And that is why Jesus said his disciples, his followers, did not fast during the three years that he was here on this earth. But that was going to change, Jesus said in verse 35. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Well, we're circling words, circle the word will. They will fast in those days. And so Jesus, the bridegroom, was taken away. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and then he ascended back into heaven. He's no longer here. We can't see him. He's no longer here in physical form in this world. And when he was no longer physically here in this world, he said in this verse that his followers would fast. So what is the purpose of fasting? As we've said, it's, a, it's abstaining from food for a period of time. Now, people have invented, you know, all kinds of other ways to fast today. Of course, you know, I'm fasting by, I don't know what something. Okay, but eating lots of chocolate, right? But as long as you don't eat meat, you're fasting. I think people invent all kinds of things, which is a little out of what the Bible is really talking about in fasting. You know, I'm fasting because I'm not going to get on Facebook for four hours today. Like, really? Uh, Maybe that's a good thing. It's not really fasting. Fasting is really physically not eating food. It's a, if you've ever done that for any period of time or even missing a couple meals, you see, uh, you notice it. I, I think most people would notice it. You notice it. You know, you get a little hungry. You get a little weak. Fasting is one way to humble yourself before God. It's a way to seek God in prayer. We see in the scripture that prayer and fasting 
go together. Some people say, you know, I'm dieting. That's fasting, right? It's like, mm, not exactly, okay? I mean, there, there probably are some diet advantages to fasting, but it's, it's a spiritual exercise that you combine with prayer that as you are not eating, you are taking that time to pray and seek God, especially for special prayer for pressing needs. And so when Jesus said here, that his followers will fast when he is gone. I see that not as just a statement to his disciples. I see that as a command, as an instruction for us today. If we are followers of Jesus, we will fast as well. Now, we don't have a bunch of rules telling us when to fast, what to fast, all this. This is something we do as we're led by the Lord. But fasting helps us concentrate on our prayer. As we see examples of it in the Bible, it enhances the power of prayer. So I believe that fasting and prayer for revival and the return of Jesus Christ is part of being a follower of Jesus in the last days. Now when Jesus returns, the book of Revelation tells us that we're going to feast with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And that's going to be quite, quite a feast. There's not going to be any fasting necessary in the new heavens and the new earth. Because we're going to be what? In the presence of the bridegroom. The bride and the bride, the bride is the church. Believers are going to be together with the bridegroom. We're not going to fast anymore. And yet here and now, prayer and fasting is essential to seeing the power of the Spirit break into our world in revival. Now what is revival? Uh, revival is, is simply God moving in power through saving people, healing people, Delivering people. What is revival? I think when we look at the ministry of Jesus, that was revival. We see Jesus moving through the earth. The kingdom of God was drawing near. The power of God was being seen in his life and ministry. That was revival. Revival was happening during the three years that Jesus was here in the earth. And Jesus wants to do the same things through his church today. So God is calling on us to pray and fast for revival in our day, revival in our church, revival in our city, and revival around the world. Finally, we must embrace what Jesus called the new wine of the Spirit. Verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, it will... He will tear the new and the new piece and the old. Let's see, I can't hardly read that one. And the piece from the new will not match the old. And so a parable is a story that has a spiritual meaning. Uh, in this section, we're going to look at two parables that Jesus told. And both highlight the difference between the new and the old. And they have important implications for us today. Jesus said it makes no sense to take a new garment you just bought, tear a piece of cloth out of that garment, and sew it onto an old garment that has a tear in it. Because first of all, you're ruining the new garment, and secondly, this new piece of cloth is not going to look good on this old piece of clothing. So what did, do the new garment and the old garment represent? Well, the new garment represents the new move of the Spirit of God that Jesus was bringing. 
This new move of the Spirit of God is bringing salvation to people. It's bringing healing to people. It's bringing deliverance. It's bringing the power of the Spirit. The old garment was the rule-based religion of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus was saying, you can't patch that up. You can't fix that. You can't try to, to put the new in with the old. The religion of trying to be a good person. It doesn't work. You need to embrace the new garment of the Spirit. And he made the same principle clear in his second parable in verse 37. He said, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. So in this parable, you have the new and the old. You have the new wine and you have the old wineskin. The new wine represents the power of the Holy Spirit. The old wineskins represent, again, the rule-based religion of the Jewish leaders. Now, old wineskins have yeast embedded in them. They're, they're brittle. They're old. And if you put new wine in the old wineskins, it will begin to ferment. And ultimately, it will break the old brittle wineskins. So what should be done? Verse 38. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine deserves new, for he says the old is good. So Jesus is saying this new wine of the Spirit needs to be put into new and fresh wineskins. And these new and fresh wineskins are, are born-again believers, those who are followers of Jesus. They need this new wine of the Spirit inside of them. They need to be filled with that. They need to be filled with the power of the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, those who are drinking old fermented wine don't want the change. They're struck in the rut of their ways. They want to stick to what they are used to. And so this last statement of Jesus refers to these Jewish leaders who are always criticizing him. And it refers to people today who are Satisfied with rule-based religion without a relationship with Jesus. And that's why it's so hard to get people who are in a rule-based religion to come to become a follower of Jesus. They don't want to change. They're stuck in a rut. And we see this all the time. God calls us to embrace the new wine of the Spirit that's moving in fresh ways around the world today. We've been talking about this new move of the Spirit has been going on really in unprecedented ways in the last hundred years or so. And I'd encourage you, if you want to find out more about what is going on in the world today, uh, in just about every country of the world, I'd encourage you to pick up the book. I just put some new ones there uh, on the table in the foyer called Power for Life. Uh, to learn more about this move of the Spirit. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. All religions other than Christianity do not lead to a relationship with God. It's not, you know, everybody's, the common sense is that everybody's seeking God in their own way. It's all, all fine. No, Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way uh, to have a relationship with the Creator God, the one true God. Not only are the other religions of the world rule-based, many denominations, so-called Christian denominations that have been around for hundreds or thousands of years, are really 
mostly part of this rule-based religion without the power of the Spirit. And we need to recognize that just because somebody says they believe in God, just because somebody says they are a Christian, just because somebody says they go to church, does not mean that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we need to get in conversations with them. What do you believe? What does the Bible say? Get in spiritual conversations. Share the truth about Jesus. That he's the only way. And how do you become a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What is the power of the Spirit all about? And for our own lives, embrace the power of the Spirit, the new wine of the Spirit, and share that freely. It's a gift of God that God has given to us, uh, to every follower of Jesus, to everyone who desires more of God. And so today we've talked about how we as followers of Jesus can be part of and share the Spirit's move. I believe we have opportunities all around us to share the good news of Jesus with needy people. I think there's more and more needy people around us than ever before. Pray and fast regularly for revival in, our, in our, your own life. That you would draw closer to God. That we as a church would draw closer to God. That we would see God move in power in our lives, in our city, in our country. Embrace the new wine of the Spirit for your own life. Share it freely. Today, the enemy seeks to silence, I guess the new word is to cancel us, right? <clears throat> Keep quiet. Don't proselytize. Don't tell anybody else about what they should believe. Each person can decide for themselves. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do, is it not? We are to spread the good news. We are to share the good news of Jesus. And so don't let anybody cancel you. Don't let anybody silence you. Don't be afraid of what people might think. People's eternal destinies are at stake. Sometimes I hear of people saying, you know, I really I'm not sure if somebody's saved or I'm not I, I'm sure they're not saved. But I couldn't talk to them. It might offend them. So, a person is headed for hell and you're worried about offending someone. We need to be bold. We need to be courageous presenting the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And the Spirit will help us. He'll help us give words. We don't want to unnecessarily offend people, but we want to speak the truth in love. And as we do, guess what? Some people will be offended. We've just read many people were offended at what Jesus was doing. They're going to be offended at what we do and what we say. But some will listen. Some will follow. And their eternities will be changed forever. So how does one become a follower of Jesus Christ? First of all, you need to admit that you've sinned. We've talked about that already. Repent, turn away from that sin. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. He's the only way. Don't believe in anybody else, it's only Jesus. And finally, commit your life to following him. He's alive, he's risen from the dead. You have to believe he's alive today to be a follower of his. You can't follow a dead man. We're a follower of Jesus who's alive. We commit our lives to following him.
So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. If you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus this morning or you want to recommit your life to him, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I followed my plan for my life, not yours. And I repent. I turn away from that. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. I invite you into my life, Jesus, and I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.